Aren't you glad the Lamb has overcome? That's why we're here today. Take your Bibles, turn to 1 John chapter number 4. 1 John chapter number 4. Again, thank you for being here today as we celebrate Palm Sunday. The fact that Jesus came into Jerusalem, the perfect sacrifice. But he came in knowing exactly what was going to happen in that next week. He knew. And in 1 John chapter 4, we're going to start in verse number 9. It says, In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. Here in his love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. Dear God, as we gather here today and look into your word these next few moments, I pray that you would help us to understand what love is. I pray that you would help that to transform our lives. God, we love you because you first loved us. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. Today we talk about a word, love. There are many different definitions of that word in society today. We use that word all the time. But to really fully understand what love is, we need to go to some experts on that. And so what kids say love is. Carrie, who is age five, her definition of love is love is when a girl puts on perfume and a boy puts on cologne and they go out and smell each other. <laughs> Noel, who is seven years old, so much more of an expert in this area, says love is when you tell a guy you like his shirt, then he wears it every day. And then Chrissy, who is six years old, I think has, has it down. Love is when you go out to eat and give somebody most of your French fries without making them give you any of theirs. That is a true test of love right there, is to see if somebody will give you their French fries. But when we talk about love and we come to 1 John chapter number 4, did you notice in there God's definition of love? He said it in verse number 10. Herein is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. And here's what it is. And sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Do you know what God's definition of love is? The cross. That's how he defines it. That's how he shows us what love is. Because you see, it is impossible, I believe, to talk about the love of God without bringing up the cross of Jesus Christ. Because the cross of Jesus Christ is the ultimate example of love. There is no greater example of love that you will ever find in human history. All of us have seen examples of love. All of us have people that we love and we want to show them that we love them. But the truth of the matter is that the examples that we show them are like having a candle. In the dark, the candle stands out. But the ultimate example that has been given is Jesus, and he is the sun. And when the sun is there, the candle pales in comparison. And what we're going to look at today 
is God's love for us because it was displayed for us nearly 2,000 years ago. If you keep your place there in 1 John chapter number 4, we will come back and turn with me to Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53. God's definition of love is that he sent his son. and He clarified this even more in John chapter 3, verse number 16, the most famous verse in all the Bible, when he says, For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. It's love. Romans 5, 8, But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God has proved, God has shown his love to us through the cross of Jesus Christ. And when you come to Isaiah 53, we see a messianic part of Scripture, a messianic prophecy, as we see the suffering servant. Isaiah 53, verse number 1 says, Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of a dry ground, he hath no form nor comeliness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. Do you understand when Jesus was on this earth, he would just look like a normal guy. <laughs> Those paintings that we see of him walking around with a halo are not quite accurate. The Bible says here there was nothing that anybody looked at him and said there's something special. But just as we looked at last week, there was everything special about him because he was that perfect sacrifice that came. He was the only sacrifice that could come. And as we think of today and we think about Palm Sunday and him coming down that Palm Sunday road, he was coming knowing that in a few days he would be that sacrifice. Because you see, he understood what Isaiah 53 was prophesying here. Verse number 3 says, He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before his shears is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people was he stricken. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Hundreds of years before the events that we will celebrate these next few days, Isaiah prophesies of what Jesus would go through. And today, for just a few moments, I want you to think with me, to go with me to real places, just like Banning, California is a real city. 
to places in that city, just like that health food restaurant in Beaumont called Raising Cane's is a real place. We are going to look at the events that God said, this is love. And it starts out on a Thursday night in a garden. It's, it's dark, it's late. And if we were to have been there, we would have seen a group of men sleeping. No surprise there, it's late. Maybe this is where they're staying right now. Jerusalem is full of people. It is the Passover. But just a little bit further past them is a man that is praying. We've never heard anybody pray with the fervency, with the intensity that he is praying right now. And you hear the words, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. He prays, and you can tell the anguish that he is in. He goes back to his dearest friends in the world who are sleeping. He encourages them to pray with him and then goes back and prays again. After a period of time, he comes back and standing there with his men, and you can see coming down the Kidron Valley, light, a lot of it. It's coming into the garden, now coming up to where the men are assembled. And you see the person in the front of it. Oh, you recognize him. He is one of Jesus' most trusted companions. Oh, he's the one that's in charge of the money. He's the one they all trust. He's the one that just a few hours ago when Jesus said, somebody's going to betray me, everybody in the room was like, is it me? Is it me? And then he actually says, he he told them the sign, he, he gave it to Judas, and they still couldn't believe it was Judas. They still thought he's just going out to do something for Jesus. And now he walks up to him, and he greets him as a friend. He gives him a kiss, and you can hear Jesus even refers to him as friend at that moment. But quickly you realize there's nothing friendly about this meeting. As the guards go past and they come to where Jesus is, but before they get there, all he does is speak, and they all fall down. Just speaking, and they're on the ground. They get back up, and now his, his disciples, his followers, understand the situation. And one of them in particular is willing to die for his Savior. So he takes out his sword and begins to defend his leader. And as he takes that and swings, he actually takes off somebody's ear. Now things are getting out of hand. Chaos is erupting around them. And Jesus calms everything down tells his followers, put away the sword. Walks over to the man who has just been harmed, maybe kneeling there in the dirt with his hand on his ear. And he reaches to the ground and picks up that piece of ear and places it back on him. Can you imagine those few seconds of pause there? As everybody just wonders, did I just see what I think I saw? But they have a job to do. They have to accomplish their mission. So they go and they apprehend Jesus and they begin to lead him back into the city of Jerusalem. They go 
back down to the Kidron Valley, walk back up, and they go to the stairs where they're going to walk up to Caiaphas' house. Caiaphas here, this is where a group of men have gathered. Well, this is Sanhedrin. And as you walk into this room, you can see the disdain on these men's faces. They have wanted to get rid of this man for a long time. All he has done is caused them problem after problem. And so as they gather here, he, they begin to, to have a trial for him. See, the problem is this trial is illegal. By their own laws, they're not supposed to have it. But the ones who are in charge of making sure people keep the law, well, that's them. So I guess they have no concerns at this point. And they bring different people in who will testify against him, but they can't find any testimonies that are agreeing. They can't find anything that they can, they can charge him with. And finally, as the frustration is growing, one of the men there looks at Jesus because Jesus, just like what was prophesied in Isaiah 53, he's not saying anything. And he looks at him and he says, I, I adjure thee, tell me, are you the Christ, the Son of God? And at this point, Jesus looks back up at him. And says, thou sayest it. Now, the crowd that has gathered erupts as the high priest takes his garment and symbolically tears it, showing that this, and he says, we, we need no further proof. This man is worthy of death. And now, the religious leaders begin to hit and beat Jesus. Spit at him. But they've got to wait a little bit. They need to take them to Rome, to the Roman leaders, because they want Rome to take care of this problem. So they put him down, more than likely, into a, an area where he maybe stayed the rest of that night. Maybe an hour, maybe two, we don't know. But around 6 o'clock that next morning, they take him, lead him through the streets of Jerusalem. It's not a far walk to get to just the other side of the temple where Pilate is. Pilate's in Jerusalem. It's the time of the Passover. This is the time that those in charge of Jerusalem grow a little bit more concerned. There's a few of these times a year when everybody comes. This is the time where everybody's on their most vigilant watches because they don't want anything to happen now. They get to where Pilate is, but they won't even go in to where Pilate is because to go in there they would become unclean and not be able to have the Passover feast so they stand outside and they communicate with Pilate and Pilate comes and is communicating with them and he very quickly realizes that there really is no basis for what is going on here and as the men begin to press him that he needs to do something about this and he needs to handle this he hears something that gives him an idea you see Pilate's he's good at coming up with plans he hears that this guy standing in front of him, Jesus, oh, he's from Galilee. That's up north. You know who's in charge of that area? A guy by the name of Herod. Let me send him over to Herod. Herod can deal with this problem. So that's what he does. Herod's in Jerusalem as well. Everybody's there. It's Passover. And as he takes him over to Herod, Herod is excited. And he's been one to meet Jesus. He's heard a lot about him. He's heard about the miracles. 
And in fact, Herod himself has met Jesus' cousin, a man by the name of John. John made a great impact on Herod. But through a series of events, Herod ended up having him executed. And now as Jesus stands in front of him, he wants to see all of these amazing things he's heard about. But Jesus does nothing. Doesn't defend himself. Doesn't give Herod what he wants. And Herod, disappointedly, is going to send him back. Not before his soldiers that are with him begin to punish Jesus by wrapping a robe around him, by mocking him, by striking him. But finally, they send him back to Pilate. Now, Pilate, his first plan didn't work. He's worried his wife has already come and talked to him and said, hey, there's something about this guy. I had a dream about him. I have nothing to do with this situation, and he wants nothing to do with it. So he goes to plan B. During this time, it's customary to release a prisoner. Who's the worst prisoner we've got in the system right now? Well, it's a guy by the name of Barabbas. And this guy's a murderer. This guy has, has led different revolt. I mean, nobody likes this guy. So he said, bring him up here. He brings Barabbas and Jesus in front of the people and basically says, you choose who we allow to go free. But the people's voice as one cry out, Barabbas. He couldn't have heard right. There's no way anybody would choose Barabbas over this man here. He's done nothing wrong. It's clear to everybody. Why? He asked, well, what would I do with Jesus then? And that same crowd cries out, crucify him. Crucify him. Oh, Pilate has tried. But both plans have backfired. He feels as if his hands are tied at this point, and so he has some people bring him a bowl of water. And he symbolically washes his hands, saying, this blood is not on me, it's on you. And the people in the crowd that day, they're perfectly all right with that. He takes Jesus, turns him over to be scourged. What was scourging? It was often used as a form of punishment, many times used as a way to get information from people. They would take the person and they would tie them and they would take a, what they called a cat of nine tails, a whip with nine ends on it. On the end of each one of those nine ends, they would have some type of object that was sharp. And the guy that would do this was an expert. They would then use that to, to hit the person. As they did that, those nine sharp things would dig into the skin and then they would rip it back. A Roman citizen was only allowed to be beaten 39 times, but Jesus is not a Roman citizen. We have no idea how many times. And after the soldiers get done with that, they then take him and play a game. They put a robe on him, and they've heard that he's been called the king of the Jews, so they've brought props for this game. And they have a crown of thorns that they have put together that they beat into his brow. They have something they give him as a scepter, 
and a robe they put on him. Then they blindfold him. And they begin to, to strike him. They begin to ask, who did that? They continue to mock and to beat Jesus. At some point, the very beard that he had is plucked out of his face. And now, he's brought back to Pilate, and Pilate brings him in front of the people again, at this point, a, a bloody mess, and says, Behold the man. Surely the people now, their thirst for blood will be quenched, and they will realize that he has been punished enough, but they continue to cry out, Crucify him. Crucify him. But somebody in the crowd says something terrifies Pilate. They say, crucify This man has made himself to be the Son of God. And Pilate brings Jesus back into that room and begins to ask him. And now he's frustrated because again, just as Isaiah prophesied, Jesus is not responding. And finally, in his frustration, he says to Jesus, don't you know that I have the power to give you life or death right now? And at this, Jesus responds and says, You have no power except it was given to you from above. Pilate, he's wavering. He knows what he needs to do. He knows what the people want. So as he goes back to the crowd, at this point, they pull out the one thing they feel they can say to make him do what they want. Hey, Pilate, if you don't do this, you are not a friend of Rome. Pilate's already in a precarious position. He's already had some run-ins. He doesn't need to anger the Roman leadership who he represents anymore and get him removed from power. So at this, he gives him over. Jesus is taken and given the part of the cross to carry through those narrow streets of Jerusalem. By this time, it's maybe 8, 8.30 in the morning. And he carries it through those narrow streets with people crowded all around. But he hasn't slept. He's been beaten and lost so much blood that he stumbles. He can't carry that any further. So one of the Roman soldiers grabs the guy and says, you carry it for him. And they finally get to Golgotha, the place of the skull. And at the bottom of that hill with the hill is the backdrop where the roads would meet. They would take those prisoners and execute them so anybody walking by could see. And they would lay there on the ground and a soldier would come and take a nail and pierce it through one hand and then another. Then the feet. Then they would take that cross and set it into place. And as they would, the Bible prophesied that all of his bones would be out of joint. And there, at 9 a.m., he begins to hang on a cross. And for three hours, there is excruciating pain. As his body would experience fever, his body, his lungs would would burn as he would try to push himself up. 
the hands, the feet, everything is screaming out in pain. But that's not the worst of it. Because around noon that day, the sky goes dark. Not because there's rain coming or anything like this. This is supernatural. And when the sky goes dark, Jesus cries out something that no other person who has ever walked on this earth could ever say. As he says, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Because you see, at that moment, the sins of all of humanity were being placed on him. And his Father in heaven turned his back to him as he paid the price. Until finally, after being on that cross for almost six hours, he cries out with a loud voice, It is finished and he gave up the ghost later that day they come and take his body down and take it to a tomb and they bury it there and at this point many people believe the story of Jesus is over but you see what God says here Herein is love. You see what happened here? This was an example of Jesus' love for us. John 15, 13 says this, Greater love hath no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friend. The example of love is the cross of Jesus Christ. The reason for his love is back in 1 John chapter number 4. Here in his love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Isaiah 53 verse number 5 says it this way, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we are healed. Take that verse and change those pronouns to a personal pronoun. Because he was wounded for my transgressions. Because he was bruised for my iniquities. The chastisement of my peace was upon him. And with his stripes, it was the only way I could ever be healed. Because verse 6 says, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all, because I am a sinner. It's not hard to recognize that. Romans 5, 12 talks about the fact that, Wherefore is by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so that death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Romans 3, 23, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We were a mess. And we weren't crying out for help. He just sent it. We didn't deserve his love. He just gave it. Here in his love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us. The reason for his love is us. 
It's you. It's me. Understand, that's the reason that the greatest example of love ever happened, that he went to the cross for us. The example of love is the cross of Jesus Christ. There is no greater example. The reason for love is every single person who has ever walked on the face of this earth. And now the question is, what will the response to this love be? What does this mean for me? Because he loves me. That's why he did this. Because he took my iniquity on him. One of the first responses that somebody must have is to accept the payment for your sins. That must be the first response. Understand that the reason Jesus died on that cross is because I am a sinner who could not save myself. Listen, we all like to think that we're good people. We all like to think we're moral people. But that's not the bar. The bar is perfect. And I don't think anybody in this room can claim to come close to that standard. And because of that, we've missed the mark and we could not save ourselves. So Jesus came down to earth. Because understand... The Roman soldiers had no power over Jesus Christ that day. Those guards that came to arrest him in the garden, all he had to do was speak and they fell down. High priest, the Sanhedrin, they're not in charge of this situation. Those nails that were driven through his hands, nails don't hold God to a tree. They had no power over him. What made him stay? was you and me. Because he wanted to be the propitiation, the payment for our sins. Now, he says, accept that. Receive that. I know for some people that sometimes can be hard to do. Because it seems like, is that, is that all? Don't I have to do that and something else? A great preacher from long ago, a man by the name of G. Campbell Morgan, was preaching in a revival meeting, and after the revival meeting, a man came up to him who was a coal miner and began to have a conversation with him about his soul and shared with him that I would give anything to believe that God would forgive my sins, but I cannot believe that he will forgive them if I just ask him. It is too cheap. Morgan looked at the man and responded, My dear friend, have you been working today? Yes, sir, I, 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 came, I was down in the mine. Morgan asked, How did you get out of the pit? Did you pay? Of course not. I just got into the cage and was pulled to the top. Were you not afraid to entrust yourself to that cage? Was it not too cheap? Oh, no, said the miner. It was cheap for me, but it cost the company a lot of money to put into that. And suddenly, it hit him. What cost him nothing cost somebody a lot. Salvation does not cost me, but it cost Jesus Christ everything. He gave everything for that. And now all he says is to receive him. Not only do I accept the payment for our sin, I must learn to love God more. 
to reflect on that cross. You know, one thing that love is the many definitions. You quickly realize with all definitions, love is action. Love is not just words, because words come cheap. We can all say things. Love is action. So God says, herein is love. Here's my example of love. And that is Jesus going to a cross for you. Romans 5, 8, this is how I'm going to prove my love. By Jesus going to a cross for you. And now we must examine ourselves and see, do we really love God? I'm afraid of my own life. I, there's a lot of things I tend to love before I love God. There's a lot of other things going on. And I put a lot of other things first before I put him first. And that's why I believe this time of the year and by any time of the year, it is good to just sit and reflect on the price that was paid, the example that was given of how much God loves me. A Puritan preacher by the name of John Owen said this, We are never nearer Christ than when we find ourselves lost in holy amazement at his unspeakable love. When we get down by the side of our bed or by our chairs or wherever we offer prayer to the Lord God and we reflect in holy amazement at his unspeakable love, his eternal love that gave his son for me, that's when you are nearest the Lord Jesus Christ. May God help each one of us to have many such moments in our life. When's the last time you had that moment where you just sat there and reflected on how much he loves you. And you looked at the cross, not just as a bunch of information, not just as, as facts that you need to know, but as Jesus Christ willingly giving himself for you. And you thought about that cross, not just as a symbol, but as an actual event that happened for you. What a great thing it would be this week to spend time reflecting on that. Oh, I know Easter's going to be busy. I'm sure many of us have plans of things that are going to happen, maybe some traveling. But let's not forget what it's all about, and let's reflect on that. But not only is it love God, we need to also love others. If you have your Bibles back in 1 John chapter 4, verse number 7 says this, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. Verse number 11 says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. How are you displaying love to people that you come in contact with? Because again, remember, love is action. It is not just words. Think about Easter coming up. Why is it that we encourage people to, to pick up invitations and go pass them out, to take yard signs and different things? Church, we know it's not so that we have a huge crowd here Easter Sunday. That's not the most important thing. The most important thing is how amazing will it be for somebody to experience that love of Jesus Christ for the first time in their lives? How unbelievable. And maybe your neighbor 
They, they get to know that. Understand, your neighbors, it's not an accident that you're there. In the first service, we had a, a, a lady come, a neighbor of some people that had just moved into the community there. She came. Who is it that God has placed you in the same neighborhood with that needs to know about him? What family member? You know, one of the great things about Easter Sunday is it's, it's live streamed. All of the services are. Maybe invite a family member that's hundreds of miles away to join online and hear the gospel. Why? So that they know the love of God. That's what we want them to know. And that's how we love others, by telling them, but not only by telling them, by just showing them. Who is it that we are showing the love of God to? There should be people that we and anybody we come in contact with, we should be showing them the love of God. You see, the definition of love is Jesus on the cross. The reason for this love, well, that's you and me. The question is, what will you do with it? We know he loves us. But what will we do with that? Charles Spurgeon said this, Oh, stand and wonder. I can do no more than ask you to wonder with me. And God grant that our wondering may end in something reciprocal by way of love to him and something practical by means of love put into action. This week, let's stand and wonder at the unbelievable fact that God loves me so much that he sent his son to die for me. Of the amazing fact that on a cross, Jesus hung there when at any moment he could have gotten off that cross, when nobody else had any control over the situation, even though they thought they did. But he didn't, because he loves me. And after we've reflected on that, let's let it drive us to action by loving God more, by loving others. Because the cross is God's definition of love. Now, what will we do with it? Dear God, I thank you for today. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for this example in scripture of you sending your son to die for us. God, we, we don't deserve it. We never will deserve it. And to be honest, I, I don't quite understand why you love each one of us that much. But I know you do. And God, we pray that you would help us to receive that gift of salvation because that's why all of that happened. And then to let that to continue to transform our lives. Jesus did not just die so that one day we could be in heaven. He died so that our lives here would be so much better by knowing him and having that relationship with you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you go ahead and stand with me, uh, Jesse's going to come up and lead us in a song, and Theo will be right here in the front. And Let me just ask you a question. Have you received that love of God? Have you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior? Because if not, can I just tell you that cross is the reason that he came so that you could maybe be sitting here today and make that decision. Because you know what we'll celebrate next week? It didn't end for Jesus on that cross. 
Because three days later, he rose again from the dead. And because he lives, you can have that relationship with God. If you've never made that decision, can I encourage you to, to have boldness and come forward today? And we'll have somebody talk to you and share how you can know that for sure. And then maybe you do know that for sure. Can I challenge you this week to take some time and reflect on what Jesus has done for you? And to let that spur you to action. Whatever it is that you need today, Theo will be here if you need somebody to pray with you or if you want to pray that you're at your seat or come forward. Let's just spend some time thinking about what Jesus has done.